0: Welcome, welcome back to Boss and Cage Podcast. So today's show, I, I always say it's going to be interesting, but I think it's very, it's going to be very, very, very highly interesting. And I think this is one of the episodes that, if you don't have pen and paper, I'm going to give you a couple seconds to go get some pen and paper because we're going to drop some information on here. This individual that we're interviewing, uh, I'm going to deem him the refocused boss for for, and, and I would say for obvious reasons, but it, it only makes sense. It's kind of like when you hear his story about the way he grew up and the environment he grew up in. He kind of grew up in an, entre- an entrepreneurial household to a certain extent, and then he took these different information and, and he built it and he was like oh look at this opportunity oh supply and demand and he kind of added on and then he ended up with it with agency so we're going to we'll talk about how do you go from essentially selling chocolate to then becoming like this international um agency that kind of specializes in a particular market sector so ramon why don't you tell our audience a little bit more about who you are and what we're talking about
1: sure well firstly thanks very much for having me on, on the show you do a great job interviewing your guests so it's an honor for me to be here with you today so yeah for, for background my name is ramon Tegal, and i am I I wear a few different hats, but my main hat is I am the founder of a business called Remarketing uh, and we're a a kind of full service marketing agency that you would expect. Uh, But we absolutely specialize in the pharmaceutical and biopharma supply chain, which makes us not just a niche agency, but a really super niche agency. So we're about 65 people now across uh, Europe and, and the US. And so... Yeah, pretty fast-growing organization. Um, uh, just actually a few months ago, we received a private equity investment, which is quite unusual in the marketing agency space, which was a, a big moment for me personally in, in my journey as, as an entrepreneur. You know, and that kind of felt like a success milestone, <laughs> but, but also a kind of start of a new kind of year-end step up for where we're taking
0: the organization so i mean you know, i i love branding and then just hearing like hearing you pronounce the name of remarkable and obviously you know when you think about the definition of remarkable was that the reason why and obviously it's a play on different words it's a play with your name is a play on remarkable. so like let's talk about the story of the, how did you come up with that branding um i would
1: love to give you a story about how we did a full brand strategy and how we did it how we actually do it for our clients the reality was um i had an opportunity to set up a company because I got asked to do some PR from a pharmaceutical manufacturing company that I used to work for, and I was on a night out with a few friends. We were having a few beers, i was like, oh my God, we need to think of a name. And like, we were like joking, saying, "Oh, and like we'll take the start of your name and just like tag it on to marketing." We were like, "That's a, that's like the worst name ever." And then I literally couldn't think of anything else, so we we set. I set the company up as remarketing in 2009 thinking i'll change it at at some point but it's become it's become synonymous with who we are and what we do it's obviously linked it's funny you mentioned a remarkable thing we had we have done a couple of campaigns around remarkable remarketing in our in our journey but no it was it was linked to my name and uh, a a drunken joke which ended up being uh, the name of the business (laughs)
0: I think that's a hell of a segue because I mean, you're talking about the sense of humor and uh, like, if you get opportunity to the listener, if you can kind of go to his um, Instagram page and you have a, a, like a pretty interesting style of content, right. And it's, I think it's ca- called um, the funniest moment in PR. So like, I want to talk about that being, cause I mean, obviously ending on that funny story, like, how did you come up with this concept or like, you know, where are you finding the content for these funny moments in PR?
1: I mean, for us, I mean, we've always tried to be quite, humorous with the way that we actually market ourselves up. We have a, we have a cheekiness to our brand, which is quite important. And I think I remember years ago, we did, we did a play on, you know, agencies, for example, would say, you know, we don't have, um, we don't have juniors on our account or we don't, um, we don't handcuff our, our team to the desk. And I was, I was like deadpan saying this to the camera And then in the background you could see all the staff like chained up (laughs) at their desks and then we would say things like um you know we don't have any kids at work yet just professionals and we got all the kids like my kids are there and my colleagues and there was like loads of babies running around in the background and you know we work in a very serious industry in reality you know we work in the pharmaceutical sector but you know at the end of the day marketing is a lot of it is just is resonating with your audience and being memorable and you know sometimes just making making them smile so um even you know i know we'll come on to talk about the book you know i put quite a lot of kind of humorous anecdotes in there just because i think stories tend to stick and humor is a good way of actually just making people remember who you are and and what you do
0: so i mean i think to your point i mean that's hell of interesting because in in the pharmaceutical space usually it's kind of cut and dry it's usually a numbers game trying to sell more product so you're bringing humor into that so i, I kind of want to like talk about like why did you pick that particular space considering like your background i mean you didn't start off your pharmaceutical like why did you end up in pharmaceutical
1: yeah it's a great question um, so i i i kind of fell into the pharmaceutical sector one of the first jobs i did one of my first clients was a clinical trial manufacturing company and this was in the early 2000s and i just found it a really interesting Industry, actually, reaction, I was like, "I just was like, this is this is completely different." I thought I was going to go into consumer marketing. I worked for Heinz, as in you know the big you know the Pittsburgh brand, and, um, and and I enjoyed the experience, but I just found it quite frustrating because you know as I just had loads of ideas, and ideas don't really go anywhere in those types of organisations because there's just so many layers of sign-off. And what I quite liked about the pharmaceutical sector was it was quite dry and conservative. But it was also quite old school so you know i was like optimizing websites and playing with ad campaigns in 2004 2005 and no one else was doing it back then i was probably the only guy in the world like playing around in this sector doing that and the client that I was working for was getting some amazing results and you know i ended up just really loving that sector and getting to know it more and more i love the global nature of it so i would travel quite a bit and It was exciting, as you know, my young in my early twenties, going to Madrid or going to I remember going to um, New Orleans for like a a conference, and you know it was it was an amazing. This was pre Instagram or Mm -hmm. social media and all that kind of stuff. It was a really exciting time, and so when when the business when I kind of decided to go full time with the business, we did we did actually at one point have clients in loads of different sectors, but we always had a core of clients in in life sciences and pharmaceuticals and for us actually we aren't on the product marketing side we're actually in the supply chain the business to business trade and technical the really boring scientific stuff which no one wants to go near but actually that niche is super global it's super exciting. it's where where a lot of modern drugs are actually developed and processed um, and one of the things that we are doing in 2015 we're going through a rough patch in the business and i felt like people Losing clients as big as, as quick as we were winning them. Mm-hmm. And I did this, I, you know, a combination of different tools that I came across and I did this analysis of our clients looking at high, like clients by high and low maintenance and high and low profit. So we had 30 clients at the time. And I remember the 15 clients that were in like the low maintenance, high profit box were pretty much all in the B2B trade and technical and pharmaceutical sector. And it felt like a realization moment, like a penny-dropping moment in like, why am, I, why am I doing all this other stuff? And uh, I remember reading Seth Godin's books around the ta- that time as well, and he was talking about, you know, it, uh, the phrase he, he used, which I love, is being meaningfully specific, right? Like, you, are, you can get real traction when you are very specific to a spe- or, or very meaningful to a specific audience. So I took the view in 2016 that we were going to basically say goodbye to half of our clients and go big on mm-hmm. one space and I mean at the time you know it was it was a risky decision it was courageous it was crazy it was whatever adjective you want to use but what actually happened that the you know having done that analysis it brought great clarity to the way that we operated you know how we marketed ourselves who we went after who we hired which events we went to like it became like it was like I you know I used to it's like putting my contact lenses in it was like oh I can see again right and uh, that really gave us traction and it gave us kind of a, a platform to to grow internationally so so like a lot of good business stories that came our niching down and focus on one sector came from painful experience of trying to be everything to everyone and actually just getting kind of lost <laughs> and in the middle of nowhere which I'm sure a lot of your listeners can can relate to as well.
0: I think it's it's hella fascinating because, I mean, obviously, you know, doing my due diligence and reading your story and it's kind of like you're repeating the where you were in your adolescence. I mean, like you were known in school for selling particular chocolate. Right. And then after you were talking about supply and demand and then you went into like garments a little bit. So, like, just talk about that. because again, what you just said pretty much depicts what you've done before in the past.
1: You have done your research very well. This is this is old school research. Very good. Um, yeah i mean you know i never saw myself as an entrepreneur ever, like and, and maybe until bit 10, 10, yeah, 10 11 of running the business and you kind of get and only when i moved to the us actually i really started to embrace the phrase founder and entrepreneur because it's so much more celebrated and respected in north america than it is in the uk i'm not saying the uk is bad in that sense but like I, you know i i remember my wife's a, my wife's a, a doctor and we we had dinner with a of one of my kids and the parents were physicians, and we were talking about that. You know, one was a pediatric, and one was a endocrinologist. And then they just couldn't believe I had my own company. They were like in awe of the fact. And I was just like, wow, isn't it crazy that these unbelievably talented people? So I've clearly had this entrepreneurial streak in me. And my parents, as you mentioned at the start, were, you know, they had their own stores and they came from, a you know, they were immigrants from India to England and they had their own shops and stuff like that. So it's very much been in the family. And when I was a kid, you know, I used to, I mean I used to work in my parents post office when I was about seven or eight years old I mean it seems crazy you Now was blatant child labor right you know but um but at the time you know it was helpful for the family I used to get free candy and you know it was a win-win situation and that kind of developed and when I went into kind of school so you know maybe 12 13 years old I used to my mom, my mom was my supplier of like candy and then I would mark it up in and sell it at school and then the days the vending machines went down mm-hmm. we you know we'd make, <laughs> make good money and then a friend of mine started um uh like a cousin of mine started importing tommy hilfiger from from there was, there was and tommy hilfiger wasn't really in the uk this was in the it was probably in the mid 90s and he had a supplier in in a part of the uk and he was getting tommy hilfiger gear and he was selling it and he had a shop in the center of the city and I uh, I was like, okay, I reckon I could sell some of this gear in school. So you know, I was selling Tommy Hilfiger jumpers and you know, uh, jeans and all this type of stuff. And uh, it and that was just just seemed like a normal thing to do. I didn't really know any any different, but just I suppose to your point, recognised an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So okay, I can fulfil a need here and you know make some money at the same time. You know, everyone's happy, and that was about that was about his complicated as it got so yeah and then i ended up doing marketing is my qualification into college
0: nice nice so for, for the listener, I, I want you to like you know you ever see your kid probably leaving the house with more clothes on or a bigger bag than they should be leaving with just keep in mind like that you may have this individual in your house growing mm-hmm. up right now going to school promoting products and selling clothes that they don't want anymore so that, that's a good, that's good good intuition so i mean like if you could define yourself in three to five words what would those three to five words be
1: That's a good question. um I'm very driven, I would say I'm um, pretty friendly and genuine is probably the words I would describe. Um, I'm also impatient but they're not all good words. you know i'm I like to things to be, I have an idea I want to do it quickly and I get frustrated when it takes forever and so yeah that could that can be a real flaw but it's also a a a really useful skill because it forces things to 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 make things happen but i like to think of myself as a pretty normal friendly guy that you know i'm the guy that that likes to have a beer at the bar and say hi to people and and all that type of stuff but i do i am quite disciplined and driven in terms of succeeding and, and meeting my goals and that's something I'm not really sure where it comes from. You know, it's, it's hard. To, you know, I've been asked that question before. It's difficult for me to find one specific reason. I, I, you know, I, I live my life thinking if I ended tomorrow, would I regret anything? And that's the way, you know, life could be very short. And we've probably all had experiences where people have got, friends who got sick or people have passed away at a very young age. And I, I kind of think I always live my life that if it ended today, like I'd look back and say, like, you know what, I packed it everything i could into that life and that 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 doesn't mean jumping out of airplanes and parachuting and being doing crazy stuff it's me it just means being mindful and meaningful with your time with the people around you and you know something that we do as a family is we always have things to look forward to right so that's that's a really you know so whether it's taking my kids away for the weekend or you know having a date night with my wife or going on vacation like just have things constantly to look forward to and, and for us as a family and I've always found that to be a really useful way of just kind of maintaining good mental health and kind of happiness.
0: Well, I I mean, to add to that, I mean, I I would think, I mean, obviously we just met, but, you know, doing the research, I would think that you're pretty outspoken as well, too. I mean, you're not the person that kind of holds your thoughts behind like a brick wall. You kind of speak your mind and say what it is. And I think that that's kind of helped you to get to where you are as well, too. I mean, you kind of cut through the bullshit to move forward. And and again, is that a correct statement or am, am I completely off? No, that's a really interesting point. I, I, think, I suppose it's opinionated in a measured way. Like I'm not, I'm not like,
1: I don't like to be controversial for the sake of being controversial. I know when I lived in the US, you know, when the election was going on, you would find people would just say outlandish things just to cause the controversy. Whereas I think for me, you know, if I look at say the review, you know, you can't help it when you've written the book and you go onto Amazon and you, you look at the reviews and you know, and what's really fascinating is I, I, I look for the same words and the words that I keep. That keep on repeated is, is authentic, is honest, is, I think the word brutal is, is used because I kind of, I try and share my mistakes as much as in my in the things that I got wrong and the things I wish I'd done differently because I actually think in those are actually a lot of learnings for other people rather than just, you know, I mean, that's why I think your show is fantastic because you have people come on you tell the truth about what it's like to run a business and found a business and all the, all the crap that comes with it and not just all the glory that people see and people just think running a business is this most glamorous thing in the world. Of course it has it. You know, I went to a brilliant dinner with a, you know, accountants took us out a really fantastic meal and all that kind of stuff last night, but they're few and far between the reality is it's discipline, hard work for years and years. And so for me, I think making sure that people don't think running your business is a walk in the park. Cause I mean, you know, yourself, it's not like, you've got to put in the hours, you've got to put in the hard work. Mm -hmm. And you got to take people on the journey and that's not an easy thing to do. Hmm.
0: Yeah. I think, I think the fact that you brought up reviews and and it's kind of like, like you read reviews all the time. You hear about these five-star reviews and it was one of your reviews that I read, I think it was on Facebook and it was like awesome, balls, downright effective PR. And like that just resonated with me. It was just kind of like, who first of all who the hell says that and second of all they say it about your company so i think from you from behind the scenes you had to kind of look at that as kind of like you're doing something right because obviously your community of people understand you and at the same time they're delivering and saying dude you're doing amazing or amazeball work right
1: amazeball that's a very that's a very throwback uk word as well so yeah it's 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 fantastic to get the positive feedback but i'm also one of these that's very reflective and in, in how we can how we can do things better so i don't look at negative comments and get too teary-eyed over them because i think often there's some truth in in some of them but and you know you use the word reflection i think like I, i'm a big believer in self-reflection and actually just like you know i journal every day and i kind of look at how i can improve myself constantly and what aspects of my life i need to get better at and i think that constant evaluation of yourself that Thing is, now we can always produce so much data. We've all got watches that tell us how many steps we've done, all that kind of stuff. We have all the tools to give us real life data on ourselves now. Why on earth would we not use it to just constantly improve ourselves? And I get that's annoying to some people because they want to sit and watch Netflix all day or play Fortnite or whatever. But I'm not, that's not how I'm wired. And I'm probably like most of your listeners, I'm wired to just try and be the best I can be. And it's probably the same for you guys. And in my experience that comes from just reflecting and reflecting speaking to the people around you about how you can be better how you can be a better father how you can be a better brother how you can be all that kind of stuff but um ultimately it's all about self-improvement
0: very cool. So, I mean, that's that's another good segue. I mean, you're talking about like the negative and the positive review. So like my next question is is on the negative side, right? I mean, obviously you've been in the game for a period of time. You're dealing with probably high strung individuals that are dealing with, with marketing sectors. Uh, again, you're dealing with medical. So if anything goes wrong, somebody has to take the blame. So what is the worst example without naming names that you've had to deal with or overcome in your business today?
1: I mean, what I think for, for us is, the quality of, say, the content that we produce for clients has to be so perfect. Like, there isn't much room for error, but there are occasions, say, where, you know, a social media post will go live or a piece of content will be produced, and it's not quite right. And you have to then take that on the chin and, you know, say sorry, first and foremost. I think it's one of the things that, people don't do when you make a mistake, you hold your hands up and you say, Look, we made a mistake, we got it wrong. But then you investigate it, and you look for the root cause. And you say, How did how did that happen? And how we can imp- improve things. So, you know, I think most of the clients, in fact, all the clients that we work with are fair, reasonable people on the whole. I mean, it's interesting, we had a we had a really rare experience recently, where we lost, there was a couple of mistakes and something that we sent to a client, and the CEO effectively ended the contract overnight, mm-hmm. which seemed really extreme. But actually, with a bit of empathy, you what turned out that this this CEO had a bad experience with something going out that impacted his business in the past, or something like that. And he just would not compromise on the quality standards. And we 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 made a mistake, and we should have. We should have caught it in our quality system and it just for whatever reason it didn't get through. But you know, he was pretty he's like, No, guys, we ain't working with you. End the contract. And I have to say that's super rare. I mean, it's it's one of the only times it's ever happened, but it's actually a really useful punch in the face for us, quite honestly, as an our team. That you know, to your point that it makes us realise how vulnerable we are when we're not at our best. And I think that's that sometimes That deuce of reality is often a silver lining (laughs) in an otherwise unfortunate situation.
0: So, I mean, that that, that leads me to like my next question. I'm, I'm just hearing you speak. I mean, obviously you're saying you don't lose that many clients and you had to get to that point. I mean, obviously in day one, you had clients. And like you said, you had to fire half your clientele to kind of get to where you are right now. Like how long, right? And the perception, somebody may be listening to this podcast and they may hear you speaking. It's like this guy, he has everything together. But in reality, how long did it take you to get to where you are currently?
1: I mean in, in literal terms it's like 18 it's probably 20 years right it's the best part of 20 years And you know and I, I love the phrase on your podcast where you, you know description, description where it's that kind of overnight 20 year overnight success and I am very much in that I'm I've been very fortunate in my career and I've reached a point where I have had some success but it has taken so much failure and effort and time and dedication and all that kind of stuff and you know, I, and one of the reasons I wrote the book is actually to give people a dose of reality of all the mistakes and all the things that you get wrong on that journey because you you don't just come into this and nail it kind of kind of overnight. I wish I wish it was. It would be it would be great. Um, and I still like I like you know, it's. I always think you're on a learning journey. And for me now, you know, we as I mentioned before, like we've just done a private equity investment, so my role in my in the business has changed. I'm not the main. Well, I'm not the only main shareholder around the table anymore. We have other people with a wider group of shareholders that we have to think about. I'm now taking on a more visionary founder role, so I'm not as operationally involved day to day. So it's requiring, the business is requiring something different of me than it did two years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. And I have to recognize that and grow into that role. And you know, we're, we're, in the, the hardest thing for us as entrepreneurs is that means subtracting rather than adding more like we, we almost, our hands have to be on less stuff, which is completely counterintuitive to the way that we built our business in the first place. Um, but no, it, it. and back to your point, you know, I wouldn't want anyone thinking, Hey, this guy's worked it all out and he's kind of knows what he's doing to an extent. I've been fortunate and there are, there are some lessons, you know, you know, we niche down and I think, you know, having a real clear focus on a niche, we learn to say no to the wrong type of clients and, we, we're we still very vigilant now in attracting the right type of customers and not people that are going to cause us you know a lot of, a lot of pain um and also just being focused on being good at what we do like it's not that complicated like trying to be the best at what you do and you know the cream rises to the top right if you're you know i run a marketing company and the first thing i say to my clients i we can do the fanciest marketing in the world if your service delivery is crap we can't that's that's the, that's the worst thing you can do, right? Like nothing is better than a really well, you know, a great product or a great service offering because that's where word of mouth comes from. That's where referrals come from. So it's one of the things that people are just thinking of marketing, like website, social media, content, whatever. It's, it's also your product. It's also what you deliver and how you deliver to your clients. So I'm, it's one of the first things I always say to clients, you know, if we're going to put out this beautiful face that you will business is fantastic. Can you guys actually deliver on this? Cause if not, you're going to get some, uh, you're going to get some disappoint your customers that are promised one, one thing and get another.
0: Very cool, I mean I just listen to you speaking, I mean, to your point about like things just don't happen, like you have to kind of mold it and and you kind of have to like find yourself and and on on that journey to get to where you are, is there any particular time frame that you would like to go back to and maybe have a five minute conversation with yourself and say, "Okay, do this or don't do this," and that's the only opportunity you have to change anything.
1: that's a terrific question. I do. in a sense no because i I, the the kind of all the mistakes and all the learnings have have led to where i am today so you almost that's like the back to the future thing you don't want to change one element or it all could go in a different direction i suppose a slightly different take on that is one one thing i did in 2016 like i i I was going through what felt like a really tough time. I just couldn't quite nail the business and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I read a great book actually called The Morning, I think it's called "The Miracle Morning or The Morning Miracle. And it it was about basically getting more, getting an hour for yourself in the morning, whether it's to meditate or exercise or be grateful or journal or whatever. And that definitely helped me to like almost get myself aligned with myself of where I wanted to go and, you know, have annual goals and have a lifetime a vision of what I wanted my life to look like. And the irony is we do this for our business all the time, but we don't often do it for ourselves and our families, which makes no sense whatsoever. So if I go back and look at that particular period of time, I wouldn't do anything differently. It's actually something that I'm glad I did. And, you know, sometimes as entrepreneurs and, you know, as, as business owners, the business is so consuming, right? It just eats us alive. And just finding time for yourself, and your own self development is honestly it's critical and, and for 45 minutes every morning before the kids wake up before my wife wakes up that's my time right like that is my undisturbed time to read to write to uh, you know maybe exercise to meditate to whatever that is my time to just align myself for the day and not everyone is a morning person so I'd, you know but i wasn't a morning person but nevertheless it's absolutely changed my life and you know having a going into your days feeling aligned in my in my experience is you got a much better chance of having a better day (laughs) than just getting out of the bed and rushing to work and get your laptop on that's that's not good for you full stop
0: I think it's it's really interesting because I mean, for like the past 10 minutes, I I started keeping like a a mental log of how many times you said the word focus. And we went back to like naming you the refocus boss. And I think you said it maybe four times. And it kind of like leads me to like the title of your book, right? The, The Floundering Founder. And it kind of goes hand in hand with this refocusing thing, right? So obviously you've floundered to a certain extent to be able to write the content in this book. And you're saying you have some sense of humor you're putting into there. So I want you to kind of like talk about this book and like who should read this book. I mean, obviously founders in the title, but in a wider scope, who should have access to this book and what are they going to learn from it?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, founders, um, entrepreneurs, anyone that's on a business journey relatively early on, particularly service businesses. Is very much you know if you're running a SaaS business there'll be elements of this book which will not be but for many of us we're just good at something right we're good at marketing we're good at accounting we're good at something and then we, we're good at web building we're good at design and we start building a business based on our skill but that doesn't make you good at business that makes you good at your skill and the book is very much based on guiding people through how I kind of navigated that from a from a business perspective and it is things we've talked about like niching down like learning to say no like, not focusing everything on your competitors. And and it's also for people that are just feeling a bit lost, right? Like, I just in their journey, and you know, they're like, I don't really, I'm at a juncture, I don't know whether to go left or right. It was designed for people that were, in fact, at the point I was at that I mentioned before, which was just like, where do I go next? What's my why? And all that kind of stuff. What I would say is that the, the book's split into like 24 really short chapters. Again, they were short because my audience is <laughs> founders and entrepreneurs that don't have a great attention span. So I wrote it in a way that if you read for 10 minutes every day, you get through a chapter, right? So you'll, you'll nail a chapter in less than 10 minutes. And the first 12 lessons are all quite business-focused. They're all about lessons to improve your business journey. But the second half, and what's been really interesting with the feedback is, irrespective of if you're a founder or if uh, do anything in life, it's lessons about refocusing yourself and, making, and becoming the best version of yourself. And again, it's based on the experience that I've had in my life and what's worked for me. So I would certainly, I mean, anyone who's a founder or an entrepreneur, I suspect you know, early on in your journey and you've got some growth and traction in your business, I suspect it will be a useful reminder of things or it will be something new. you mentioned at the start. Like there is a lot of stuff that you will want to pen and paper. you write stuff down. I know that because people have been kind enough to give me that kind of feedback. But there's a whole section around you as a person and, you know, not judging people, networking, what to do in an investment situation, you know, making time to learn, the entire chapter dedicated to like, how do you create a learning habit, right? In, in 10 minutes a day, in 20 minutes a day. Because I detest it when people say, well, I do, I can't find the time to read. I'm like, you spent an hour on your social media today. Like you, yep. you, you watched Netflix for three hours last night. You could definitely make 10 minutes to read a book, right? So I think, uh, we are living in a world where we have so much just distraction based media that's desperate for our attention Uh and so making sure we are intentional and mindful about where we place our time is honestly i think it's a superpower for people i really worry for the next generation for that part of it Uh because i watch you know i see my team you know younger team members Chronically distracted, right, by their phones and can't can't live without. Like I don't have any notifications on any device, right? And my team would be like, "How on earth can you live without notifications?" And I'm like, "When I'm ready to go to my phone, when I'm ready to mm-hmm. go, like it, it will get my attention on my time, but not on its time, if that makes sense." But I'm in my for I'm in my early forties now. Like I'm a bit older to have yeah. made those mistakes to think like that. But I do worry that people just don't have the mental strength to be able to actually deal with the devices. So apologies, I've just gone completely down a, a rabbit hole there. Of no, <laughs>
0: I, I think it's wonderful. and It gives insight to who you are. And it kind of makes me think about like you growing up in an entrepreneurial household, right? In that environment, right? And obviously you write in this book and this book is about floundering. Did you see your parents have highs and lows in their businesses? And, and did that kind of help you to become who you are today?
1: Uh, d- definitely. You know, my, I watched my parents, uh, my, my one of my eldest brother, uh, my eldest brother, He had a clothing garment business in the early 90s, late 80s, and that business failed, and my parents actually and my brother lost quite a lot of money. Mm -hmm. My wife's family, actually, their business went into, you know, they they used to sell the sports, like Adidas and Nike clothing, and and then, you know, some of the bigger companies turned up on retail and they lost their business as well. So we've been around that failure, but we've also been around, um, I suppose, the, the work ethic. You know, and I, and I think that's, you know, I look at the example I tried to set my kids, like, and I don't know where I got this phrase, I heard this phrase, but, you know, they don't necessarily do what they say, but they'll do what you do, which is just setting the right example. And I I think back of, I remember we'd go to like parties or weddings and stuff as kids, and I'd get up at like 11 the next, on a Saturday morning, and my dad had gone to the shop like at seven in the morning, and I'd be like, oh my God, how did he get up and go to work? And like, I'm that guy now, but but I, that, that work ethic piece, and irrespective, you know, rain, wind, shy whatever the weather, they have to go to work, and they have to go, and you know, they have to make they had to make their money, and have to get the work done to put food on the table, and and all that kind of stuff. And you know, I, I was fortunate of that. You know, we were in a wealthy family, but I didn't I didn't want for anything. Like I was very happy kid, and I was the youngest of three, and managed to get. The, the benefits of being the youngest because my parents were probably a bit a bit more well off by the time I came, came around. But to your point before, it pro- it definitely is in your early years, an example of, of, of just seeing your parents work hard and that being the normal and that's certainly the example my wife and I try to set with our with our kids.
0: So I mean, just to talk about like your your family life now. I mean, obviously you grew up in that environment to where you saw your dad waking up pretty early and you couldn't figure out how the hell he's doing it. Now you're in his shoes, you're doing it now, and now you have the next generation, his grandkids in front of you. Like what does your work life balance look like today? It's
1: better today than it has been for a long time, if I'm honest. And and I um it was really bad when my first son was born in the and I was just getting the business off the ground, so I think first three or four years of the business were around then my son was born my eldest that was I look back now and be like, I did not spend enough time with him but when my second son was born I remember sitting down with my wife and said I ain't gonna work weekends anymore I'm done with weekends and so genuinely to this day I very rarely work at a weekend I'll do some planning on a Sunday for the week ahead my weekends are for my family and, and that's it and then the other thing now is that I try and do is um you know, so between like five thirty and seven thirty at night, or six and seven thirty, dedicated family time. So you try and have dinner together. I, you know, our youngest son, I'll put together or put him in the bath or whatever. And like, because you can't, you know. And I've been fortunate. I have to spend a lot of time with people who are older than me who say to me, "You'll never get this time back. You'll never ever get this time back." And yes, you know, I could work a few more hours and make a bit more money, but like, like it, it's time versus money at the end of the day, and man, like there's only so much money that you probably need in life and in reality. And it's not necessarily my motivator uh, and my motivation like it was 10 years ago. So, and I think good open communication with your partner, right? Like, so my wife and I will call each other out in like, if we're on our phones around the kids or something like that. So we generally, when we're with the kids, we, we're we not allowed our devices anymore. We'll put them in the drawer or upstairs or something like that. Cause again, like you know, it sets the right example. If I'm, I'm talking to my kids and I'm on my phone all the time, like, how can I expect them to not do? I mean, I find it hilarious when parents are screaming at their kids because they're on their phone whilst they are on their phone. I'm like, dude, like can you not see what's what's happening right here? So um we are tr- not perfect and it we're all it's always work in progress in terms of that family time, but making time on the weekends, making some time during the week. Um and in a really perverse way, COVID was really good from that perspective because you know, we were we were living in Boston in the US during COVID. And we were kind of alone and you know my wife was pregnant as well and then our third son was born and so we had to be pretty isolated from everyone because of the risks when you know pre-vaccination when no one knew and we last the last thing we wanted was my wife and baby and to get sick and all that kind of stuff and but i look back now and like you know we had like three meals a day together right we you know we like we had such quality time together and actually now life's gone back to normal you know i'm back in the uk now and similar for you probably on the east coast like like pretty normal at the minute other than traveling again and we just don't get that quality time as we did which is kind of a bit crazy because we were all craving jumping on airplanes and all that kind of stuff and i do love traveling like i really it's a big part of who i am i love seeing the world i love coming to the U and i am mean, in the us quite a bit i love just traveling around but you have to again back to what i said saying Paul, i feel like you have to be quite intentional mm-hmm. about your time with your family um and there's something in the book and, and if you try and find the time you'll never find the time you've got to make time like there's a clear distinction between the two you have to make time for your family because you'll not find it because you'll fill it with your you'll fill it with your inbox and your phone and your social media alerts etc Or great podcasts like yours obviously
0: so, well, I definitely appreciate that. And I think uh, like if I remember correctly, you had brought up something about like, like the morning routines, and I want to kind of pull that back into this conversation, right? And bringing back your dad into it, you had said that your dad was at the office at seven o'clock. So that means he had to probably wake up five, six o'clock every single morning to get ready to get to the office so like what are your morning routines like what time do you wake up and and i'm just trying to find like the similarities between your dad and yourself and it's kind of like i'm painting this picture but i'm seeing a lot of similarities from past to present
1: um i will answer that question but i'm just going to mention something i did recently which i advise your listeners to do so my dad's in his 80s now and i i did a podcast recording with him recently and I don't know where I heard this from, but I, I recorded an hour an hour and a half interview with my dad. Mm-hmm. And it's not for public. It was an ask, my family, the family, so my brothers and the kids all submitted questions about my dad's life. And so we have this hour and a half of my dad telling the story of his life now captured on, like, forever. Now, and, and the reason I mention it is, I, I think someone, I got this idea from a book or something a while ago. And honestly, like, there's so much about my dad or my mom I did not know from but after this interview you just go a bit deeper so I thought I'd mention that because I'd I'd recommend it to anyone as a great you know a great before it's too late right because you know they're not going to be around forever and um but my you know my morning is probably very different to my dad's you know my dad used to get up and then put his clothes on have some breakfast and go straight to the shop and he would be it would open the other post office so they opened the post it was less than office and he'd be behind the counter at eight o'clock in the morning serving the community effectively, my mornings look like uh I get up between five fifty and six a m so I have like a get up before six a m every morning is is kind of a goal um I do the normal stuff like you know go to the restroom and you know brush my teeth and et cetera et cetera um i then i kind of i meditate for ten minutes, i kind of i journal, I make myself a coffee. I read and then I typically exercise. So I'll do like a home workout, or I'll, I'll go running, or something like that. And so that's about an hour, hour to an hour fifteen. So between like six and quarter past seven, that's like my routine. And um, and depending on what project I'm working on, so when I was writing the book, between seven and eight am every morning, I would write for an hour, and that was how <laughs> that was my that was my how I ended up writing the book. Um, and so. I have, like, a bit of time in the morning for working on, like, I want to call them personal projects, but projects that need, like, a lot of time. So I'm I'm starting to think about the second book now. So in order to do that, I'm going to have to make time for an hour or 40 minutes every day. Um, And I'm I'm very fortunate that my wife's super supportive and, um, you know, she kind of gives me that space in the morning because she knows it's important. Um, and she always laughs in. like unless you have your time in the morning you're an absolute nightmare to be around so it's a kind of a win-win for the family if, if i've if i've got up and i've got a good start to my day the rest of the family seems <laughs> i'm in a much better mood I'm much more likely to buy ice cream right or whatever and everyone's uh everyone's happy so that's that's how my morning is and it was very much taken from the the miracle morning book the the, the kind of way that he describes his morning i i basically adopted that practice and it's. I think I'm in year seven of doing it now wow. which is um honestly it's changed my life like getting up early in the morning has genuinely changed my life in journaling and reflecting back it's It's the type of stuff where like and even when I mentioned meditation the part of me that like, oh my god people think you're an idiot because you meditate like, there is a stigma around journaling and meditation and stuff like that but I just don't really care anymore maybe when I was younger I'd be like I'm not telling anyone that I meditate but I'm like i'm better for it i'm more centered for it i'm more present i'm a better person to be around i'm more in touch with other people's feelings and and that can only be a good thing for them and and myself so i'd certainly encourage anyone especially if you go through a difficult time like try and find that morning time to just center yourself and it's, it's, it's certainly benefited me and i'd recommend it to any of your listeners
0: very cool. Very cool. I mean, that, that kind of leads me to, I mean, earlier on, you were talking about an opportunity. Someone should have a minimum, a 10 minute opportunity to read books, right? And we were talking about your book a couple of different times. And, and those that are seeing the video behind him, it's like there's a little library on, on over his, his right shoulder. So I want to kind of talk about, I mean, you're very astute as well. Like what books do you recall that you would like to recommend to an up and coming entrepreneur that helped you to kind of get over your your early hurdles?
1: Yeah, probably. If you don't mind me turning around, they're probably all on the shelf behind me. Um, some really good ones. So, uh, um, so the one that really this is an excellent book, which is um, it's a very old book, but it's the Magic Magic of Thinking Big is a brilliant book in just kind of like making you think good about yourself. Um, any book by Derek Sivers. This one I don't know if you've seen Derek Sivers before. is is absolutely fantastic from an entrepreneurial perspective I'm, I'm really into productivity and i love books like the one thing and essentialism they really really help me very much on on kind of my journey so the majority of the stuff that i resonate with are a mix of kind of self-development improvements type books and kind of quasi business and marketing books is where, where i kind of generally focus my time i mean a really good book and um, quite a famous book uh, let's talk about race At the minute, I think it's quite a famous book in in the US and my wife read it a couple of times. She's like, you need to read this book. And, you know, as we, as as an organization, but as a society, start thinking more about diversity in our organizations and diversity of views. It's actually really educational for me to actually understand what other people kind of go through. So I have quite an eclectic mix in that sense of of the types of things that I read. but you know, anything by Derek Silvers, anything by Seth Rogan, I love Tim Ferris's books. I think they're excellent. The Tools of Titan is a phenomenal book, you know, in terms of you could read it again and again. They're all kind of basic foundational stuff that that I would recommend anyone. I'd also like I'm a big podcast listener, so like when I'm running or working out or driving or commuting anywhere, I'm always listening to podcasts. I think it's I think it's the easiest most convenient way to learn is is the way i look at it so you know i listen to again the Tim various podcast, michael hyatt's um podcast obviously your podcast um i listen to uh i can't remember his call, um cal Newman, who's written a brilliant book called uh, digital minimalist which i don't know if you've read it it's fantastic called digital minimalist and deep work he's he's amazing um and you know just like I also try and listen to some sports, but like I'm into like soccer and sports and I think there's a lot you can learn from elite athletes and people who are world-class in their fields that you can apply to your own life and just try to think a little bit more laterally rather than, you know, obviously I engage with like agent agency and type content and other authors and other podcasters and stuff like that. But I think there's a huge amount you can learn from people in different sectors that are world-class at what they do. And that's why I think um, you know the the Temporis podcast is particularly good because you get this eclectic mix of people from more different walks of life, but you see amazing similarities and themes across different different ones.
0: I mean, since you ended up on podcasting, I mean, to to your point, I think podcasting is like the new way of taking old content and absorbing that content while multitasking, right? And so I want to kind of talk about your podcast, uh, Molecular to to Market, right? And I think the tagline is inside the sourcing space. And I I think the play on words is definitely interesting right there, right? Because obviously you're talking about molecules and you're talking to pharmaceutical, but you're really talking about them kind of outsourcing to someone else like their marketing strategy. So I, I think one particular episode that I listened to was um, the African biotech butterfly. Mm. And it was a pretty pretty interesting episode because it, it was like the first time, like I, I guess you had an opportunity to interview someone in that sector and space from Africa. And she was talking so profoundly about what Africa is doing in the economy and what they're doing with, with pharmaceutical right now. So I wanna talk about like, how did you even come up with this concept for the, for the podcast and has it been fruitful for your business?
1: Uh, Well, yes, it's been very fruitful, I have to say, and um, you know, a little bit like you, like you, I, I, I love talk. Like when I'm doing a podcast interviews, I'm learning, and I loved podcasts, so I always fancied having my own podcast. Mm -hmm. And Molecule to Market was a concept that I came up with on it. (laughs) on a flight from boston to san francisco it's just when i moved to the u.s and i did not realize how long it was to get from the east coast to the west coast i had to like look at me like is it like seven hours this is crazy in the uk i would be in asia by that point in time so but i had like seven hours on a flight and i remember being right like who's this forward you know it is it is a very niche podcast right because it is very much focused on the sector where my businesses operate right so there's the my book's slightly different because my book has got nothing really to do with my business life in in the truest sense because I'm not going to get customers from my book if that makes sense. It was genuinely a here's here's stuff that I really hope will help people that were in a similar journey or on a similar path to me. It was done for no other reason other than I think I've got some stuff that I can help other people. Whereas the podcast is, you know, I interview leaders and uh, you know, CEOs. C-suite people, founders, entrepreneurs from um, predominantly companies that work within the pharmaceutical and biotech ecosystem, right? So if I give you, uh, you know, if you take the COVID vaccines, for example, right now, those vaccines would have been developed, packaged, tested, distributed, manufactured by a whole load of companies in the supply chain. And those are the types of companies that we actually typically work with. So I interview guests from those types of companies, all actually from the buyer side as well. And there was nothing like it in the market. And, you know, podcasting, it's quite a conservative sector. So no one had kind of, I try to think what the US phrase is, but I can't, no one had the balls to do it, quite honestly. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to put something out. And, and And you know, with podcasting, you've got to stick to it, right? It's like a graveyard of, dead podcasts out there and for me I, I, we went big you know we, we had a concept we did a brand for it we did a website for it we lined up some fantastic guests and we're gonna hit 100 episodes i know you're up to over 100 now and congratulations that's an amazing achievement we're gonna we're gonna hit 100 in the next few weeks and it seems crazy given how niche the industry is but it's you know to, to your point before about the recent guest. you know it's a global industry it's a it's a huge market, it's very fragmented. And so you've got so many potential guests that you could interview. And I suppose like the recent the, the the one that you mentioned, the lady, um, I think we call her the African biotech butterfly, I think we called her in there. So I mean what a fantastic guest she was. And she came a bit left field, you know, like I kind of we came across each other mm-hmm. and um she and you know, it's fascinating being from the West and you're thinking, what what was life like growing up in Africa? and access to vaccines and what's happening there from a, a drug development perspective. It's, you know, it's like that, that, that diversity of thinking and getting perspectives from other people in the world is really helpful for yourself and for other people just to see what's going on. Um, and just, I think, because the podcast coincidentally launched when COVID hit, events were all shut down and, you know, it's been a very traditional events, conferences, booths-type um, industry. So people were kind of like, where am I going to get my, where am I going to get my fix for the industry that I work in? Right, where am I going to get the latest thinking on trends and all that kind of stuff? And and people were a little bit. I think people got a bit bored of webinars and stuff like that. And the thing about podcast, podcast, of course, you know, you do you listen on your own time, right? Like content's there when you want to get it. The content's there when you want to press play on your iPhone or whatever. So it just hit at a good time, and I think that allowed it to get some traction and yeah we've been so fortunate and I love doing it. I probably like that like I love interviewing the guests i I get excited every time I do an interview I learn something every time I get an interview. I'm often saying to my wife god I, you know I met this fantastic interesting guy and i've I've had honestly I've met some amazing people, and you'll know the thing about podcasting is whatever way you look at it it you you connect with people in a in a in a much more meaningful way when you so you and I are doing this today yeah. and I, you might you might hit me up in a month's time saying, "Hey, do you know anyone do that?" I'd be like, "Oh yeah, like I'll help you straight away," because I feel like we've had this time together and, and we've connected and we've you know. And so what I found is it, and for anyone in any industry, if you're confident enough and you can have a go at doing it and you stick to it, you, you will access people that you would ordinarily never be able to access because you're in selling them anything. You're giving them an opportunity. We don't charge our guests anything or anything like that. We give them a platform and we let them have editorial sign off if they want to cut anything out. And because the nature of confidentiality in the industry, like we give them full editorial sign off. And what it means is they almost see you as an equal, right? Like a peer. So now I'm out and about at conferences. Like um, I'll get people coming over who will literally, but oh my God, you're the podcast guy. And it's weird because like I'm a, not as I'm not using this level, like I'm what I'm known in this weird niche of a world, but which yep. is pretty cool. But then, but then it's like, hey, you should come on the podcast. I do you spring to see you, you bring on the podcast, and it's kind of like yeah. self fulfilling, which is fantastic. But yeah, so I, you know, for any of your listeners that are in a very niche sector, it doesn't matter, like, that's like, there will be people in your sector that would be interested in hearing whatever the the latest trends or whatever kind of interesting stories about individuals. But the key thing about it is it just gets you access to people that you would never, ever, ever be able to access by just selling them new services. And I think that's, in my opinion, has been the most powerful learning of of the podcast. It really positions us as a thought leader and a thought facilitator in our space.
0: I I, I totally agree with you. I mean, it gives us a, a hierarchy that that's, that's been existing, but been ignored for a period of time. So when you step into that space and like you're saying, you're giving someone an opportunity to have these conversations that you and I are having, like when I was doing my due diligence, I had to kind of like research you. And and so when I come on this call, I feel like I know you. Right. So like we're actually having like this conversation versus me just asking random ass questions. So it it kind of builds this this synergy. Right. And I think even like your your style of podcasting is great too, because I always give nicknames and I, I thought it was really cool that you gave her that nickname. It was like the African biotech, you know butterfly was like you had to think about that process that they're like why would i name her that and it it, kind of sticks and it resonates with that person for sure
1: so yeah and the the creative i mean you know that's given what i do for a living as well you know i'm a creative person and we do brand we we do branding and communications and writing copy and so i quite like the task you know you spend an hour doing an interview like this with someone like how can i capture this interview in three words yep i actually really like that and often i get i'm I just come up with it and she was like oh my god I like she loved it mm. and she really like resonated with it which was always nice and i don't know what you find as well like i i've had guests who have been when the podcast goes live they're almost they're overwhelmed when it reaches to their family members and people that don't know don't know their story and actually didn't realize the challenges that they went through and i remember getting an email once from someone who is really high up in a big pharmaceutical company saying you won't um you'll never know the impact that you had mm. um that this podcast had on my parents they didn't know half my story and i was just like it's like of to cry i was like, i cannot believe um we had it we i don't know if you've ever had this one but we had a really we, we we i did a podcast with a guy a couple of years ago and it never went live the podcast because the guy um he w- was off sick and and I unfortunately ended up passing away the guy. And, but I had this content that I'd interviewed him for an hour, so I I'm, I'm, I'm messaged his wife a few a month or two after the funeral and said, "Look, you know obviously condolences, et cetera, et cetera. but you know I have this content and that you might you might really want. And she was, and she was like, "Oh my god, like yes, you And he was, was a guy that you think originally from South Africa and ended up in the US and it, but he talked about his entire life and so i i captured this like life story this guy who had, like quite quickly passed away and really uh, under very sad circumstances but his wife was so um grateful that you know i was like sent to the cut like you know the, the file and i think she must have shared it with the family and like i was like my god like this stuff is powerful when you're capturing people's, people's no. stories and narratives and they're not we're not all going to be around forever so yep. you know it's
0: useful so yeah yeah well that's part of the reason why like i i I continue to do the podcast because I, I look at it as a standpoint of like this is the way for humanity is designed to procreate and recreate right and so again everyone wants to live forever and this gives us the opportunity as podcasters to not only voice our story but voice the stories of other people that that content could live on forever so 100 years from now 50 years from now our grandkids whatever can hear this conversation between us and be inspired by it as well so yeah it's definitely something that if you're not a podcast i would definitely recommend that you dive into it and and on that note i want you to kind of give like final words of wisdom to someone that's listening to this podcast that's hearing you and saying okay you know what maybe they have a kid that sells candy or maybe they're the dad that's getting up five o'clock every morning and going to work or maybe they're like you and they're, they're between multiple different continents and they're just trying to figure out how to juggle things and move forward
1: yeah. It's, I mean, so obviously everyone's journeys is individual. And I suppose I come back to basics, which are, you know, keep learning, like keep growing. Like I think that's a really important, doesn't matter where you are on your journey, if you're on the start of your journey, if you're 50 years in, you know, people I meet who are well into their journeys, the, the ones that are super successful and never slow down are the ones that just have a curiosity and thirst for life. So I think that is a, fundamental one that i also think it sets a fantastic example for your kids and people around you that that they kind of thirst for knowledge and i'm not saying this like i was really studious or anything this is something that i've developed later in life and you know i you know and one of the big themes of the book is just be the best version of yourself you can right like you only get one shot at this so yeah. give it your best Right, you don't want to be and i think you know at the start of the book we, we talk about you know imagine imagine meeting Yourself, you know, before you know your. I think we talking about. Know, imagine you, your the version you could have become, right? Uh, when you when your time is up, you meet the version you could have become. You'd be devastated if you did that. That guy was much better than you are. You'd be like, oh my god, like I didn't fulfill. And you want them to be the same person, right? And so that's the way I look at life: is project forward, project forward ten years, and think what will I regret if I don't start making meaningful steps now and i think it, w- it will unlock things much bigger than i need to lose 20 pounds or whatever it'll be you know i need to spend time with my parents you know i need to make sure i've got an hour an evening with my kids like stuff that you'll never regret in life so that would be my kind of with parting words of wisdom, if, nice. if that's what we call them
0: nice so how does someone get in contact with you i mean obviously you have a podcast you have a website like what social media profiles do you want to share
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, the easiest way. I mean, the kind of patch all is if you go to romansegal. you know, which is just my full name. dot com. That's kind of that portal to access the. This, I think they, they will give away the first couple of chapters free on the book there. So if you want to dive into the book and get the e copy, and then you can do you can do that. Obviously, you can buy it on Amazon and all that type of stuff, or just find me on LinkedIn, for Romansegal on LinkedIn. Ain't many of us knocking around in the world i actually think i'm wearing this shirt on my uh on my profile so that's just coincidence so um yeah you yeah put me up whenever i love connecting with new people and hopefully today's resonated and, and you've left with some value and yeah just thank you so much for having me on your show it's a it's a great show and a great platform for entrepreneurs to share their stories so i feel very grateful that you were you've given me the space to talk today
0: well i definitely appreciate you being here for sure and i mean it's kind of like just hearing you speaking hearing your story and 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 like what you put into your podcast not every podcaster does that so i definitely appreciate that because there's podcasters and then there's people that really dedicate themselves to podcasting and growing with influence so i definitely commend you for that um Going into like a a bonus question, and I think for you, it's gonna be pretty interesting because I have no clue what you're gonna say, but if you could spend 24 hours with anyone, right, that person could be dead or alive and you're spending those 24 hours uninterrupted with them, who would it be and why? Oh my God, that's
1: such a fantastic question. I don't know why this person comes to mind. I think someone like Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay. And, and the only reason, he's one of those people who, I think he would be really good fun. And he doesn't seem to do bad movies. Like, he's, if, like if you, I cannot think of a bad movie he's done. And I'm not a super fan of his or anything like that. Yeah. I just, I look at his body of work. I look at the person, like, you look at all the environmental stuff that he's got. He seems like a very nice, likable guy. And I think, like, I would want to spend 24 hours with someone that I'd have a lot of fun with, but I would probably learn something from rather than, you know, I don't know, I'd say an Einstein or whatever and being like, you know, but I'd probably not understand 95% of what was being said. I would rather probably just party with someone for 24 hours and be like, that was a good time and I learned something. So, and that's it's funny because I didn't know you were going to ask me that question and I that weirdly was the, the first name that came to mind. Cool. I should have said my wife, she's gonna to listen to this and say, What about me? Why are you wanna you never spend time with me, right? <laughs>
0: yeah. well, it's funny that you said that because I used I used to say all the time, everyone except for, for like your your like your kids or your immediate family, just for that reason. Cause they, I always say, like, I don't want anybody to end up sleeping on the couch. So I, I'm gonna say right yeah, now yeah. to your wife, he shouldn't sleep on the couch because you know, we're, we're <laughs> gonna ad lib that in there. We were talking about just hundred percent business.
1: <laughs> exactly. The, 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 just to kind of phone a second question. I mean, i never I was I was very young when my when my paternal grandfather passed away so he named me and he died when I was one or two so there's pictures of me with him but he he was an entrepreneur and he he built a steel business in india and he had 5000 staff wow. and my mum my mum says that that I remind him I remind her of him mm. And none of his sons are anything like it. Like, so my dad and my dad, my dad had seven brothers, and none of none of them are like him. Wow. But my mum's convinced that like I am so much like him, mm-hmm. um, and she and I have. It used to be here yeah, a, a poem. About, there's a poem that I'm not going to read it, but there's a poem about humility that he wrote before he passed away, and um, it's it's a little bit religious and stuff like that. But like, I mean, the fact that it's called humility, I think. Tells you a lot about the man that built such a good business. So wow. I think, you know, away from the celebrity partying with Leo, I think 24 hours to see what type of guy my granddad was would be pretty cool as well.
0: I could totally see that. I could totally see you taking that 24 hours and having an opportunity to do what you did with your dad and record a podcast with him.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I'll do 20
0: I'll yeah. do
1: 23 hours with Leo and I'll do an hour with oh, my granddad okay. that's okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I could totally see that. I mean, because again, to your point, he doesn't know the person that you turned out to be. So mm-hmm. by interviewing him, you may have an opportunity to kind of see so many similarities that probably were instilled in your dad that are instilled in you today.
1: Absolutely. You're probably right. Yeah. So yeah, it's great, great question. question.
0: So in closing, man, I mean, I was your fellow podcaster and I love interviewing podcasters because I'm giving you an opportunity to become the host of the Boston cage podcast. Do you have any questions that you would like to ask me?
1: What do you do differently now on your podcast that you didn't when you started?
0: First and foremost systems, like in the first year, it was just more so kind of like going through my Rolodex and co- contacting people, to see if they want to be on the show. But now like, and I'm sure you probably, or your staff got some of my systems, you know, it's, it's a form, it fills out, it says updates, it says all this different stuff. Mm-hmm. And then all that content kind of given me, make me a better podcaster because now I, I was doing my due diligence before, but I was spending so much time doing all the research and I was like, why don't I just ask the people I'm going to interview to give me some insight? So, by yeah. giving that insight, now I can kind of dive in and, and piece these puzzle pieces together versus season one. I was doing it, but I was more so struggling versus now I could do it with so much more ease and I could really focus on that content.
1: Uh, you know what's really funny is before, you know, you, I got a reminder an hour before we were doing it today, it's an hour to go. And I forwarded, it. I've been forwarding your emails to my team saying, look how polished this guy is with his automation system. So it is super, super impressive. I'm sure I'm going to send you a separate message saying how the heck did you set it all up? But it's very, it's very slick and it still feels quite personalised, which are quite light, so it doesn't feel like uh, automatic. And I love the, the Google form that you send through just to get that piece of information in, in, in advance. And if you don't mind asking as well, like of of all the, you know, you've done what 125 interviews now. What is there two or three themes that you see again and again and again? I, I appreciate every interview is wow. slightly different, but yeah. is are there are there you know, if someone said like, you know, if, if it stopped today, and like, what are the three themes that you you got through? Not every episode, but you kept seeing again and again. I would, I would love to get your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, so I mean, in realistic times, I, I've posted 125, but I've actually recorded over 300 episodes. So we're we're like wow. backlog 200 episodes right now. And the reoccurring theme that I hear over and over and over and over and over and again is when and it's, it's it's said differently. Even you said it differently, right? I mean, obviously, you're gonna be posed with a hurdle. But figuring out how to kind of keep overcoming the, the hurdle and knowing that more hurdles are coming, and if you can kind of stay in that space to realize that okay things are good right now, but something negative may happen, but I'm not going to focus on that negative. But when that negative comes, I'll be prepared to overcome yeah. that negative and keep going north. That's the the reoccurring thing that I hear from every single entrepreneur, business owner, and founder.
1: That's a great one. I remember I don't know if it was Spotify or Shopify. It was one of the big ne- the founders of one of those businesses was on a podcast and he talked about. It's like like it playing a video game and you reach one level yep. and there's another level. you got to get the bigger dragon, then the bigger dragon, then the bigger dragon, then the bigger dragon. The bigger dragon. And it, that is the same concept, really. And yep. yeah, it's, that's fascinating that, that you hear that again
0: again and again. Yeah, I, I think it's beautiful the way, the way you describe it because, I mean, obviously with the levels on video games, usually on the first level, you have to take something with you to the second level. Without getting that first thing from that first level, you may not be able to win on that second level. So it's like entrepreneur is the same thing. If if I had a client that I lost, what did I learn from that, and how do I not lose any more clients on the next level? So you take all these yeah, elements yeah. and you, you're take. It's like taking a bag of gold on your shoulders, and you're you're paying as you go. You're paying as you yeah, 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 keep yeah. in more gold in that, and you, and it gets you farther, farther down the road. No, that's
1: fascinating. I have one more final question. just yeah, Because yeah. I've got you in this. This is quite fun. Um was there a guess that that? say surprised you but was there one guest that are you recall that when you finished you were just like wow that that was unbelievable was there anyone that really knocked it knocked you off your off your chair in terms of you know you wanted to tell people immediately
0: i mean literally i would say nine out of ten more like that like literally at this point in, in my podcasting career in year one there were great personal people that I knew firsthand, but now going into like, see, we're we're, we're closing out season three, and we're getting ready to start season four. And season four, I would say, is about ninety percent of people like you and I are meeting for the first time, having this conversation, and I thinking that the systems that I have in place right now and the way I'm getting these people every last one of them, including yourself, is like a legend in what they do. And it's kind of like, I'm always enamored and like, at ah, at the end of the conversation, it's not like, how the hell did I get this privilege to interview someone like this on this caliber to be able to tell their story and leave that story for the next generation? So for me, it's 9 out of 10 people.
1: Which is amazing. Yeah, congratulations. I imagine just, also it As your time goes on, the quality of your guests and that you are just gonna probably—I don't mean improve because it's it's not in a disrespectful or disparaging way to any of your former guests, me included, obviously—but you, you are gonna continually attract people of bigger businesses and actually bigger hurdles and all that kind of stuff. So it's fantastic that you're on that journey and that you're getting getting value from it as much as obviously putting out great content for people.
0: Yeah, yeah. And if I could just pinpoint maybe one person, I think it was recently I had an interview with um, the founder of Redfin, the real estate app, Mm. and doing the due diligence, I didn't realize that he had worked hand in hand with Jeff Bezos. And he was the guy that helped write the algorithm that we use today. So at first glance, I was like, okay, there's another person I'm interviewing and I'm doing and I'm like, This is not just a regular person i'm interviewing like he is the reason why everyone is spending so much money on amazon and he's also the reason why people are using his app and he's on a whole nother business sector right now so he's built and sold and built and grown like three or four businesses and i was just kind of like yeah this is a whole nother level of information that i didn't even know i was going to be able to speak to on that particular day
1: (coughs) amazing and what's your favorite podcast other than your own
0: Oh, man, there's, there's so many. I mean, obviously, Tim Ferriss is definitely great. I mean, Joe Rogan is definitely great. And I think like literally, it, it's so many because I listen to every single person that I interviewed that has a podcast as well. So it's kind of like trying to juggle and memorize all of them, but I have all of them in my list. So I'll go through just like yours, like, what, like that one particular episode, I was just scanning through them and I was like, interesting title. Let me listen to it. Yeah. And I listened to it." And yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. Great information, but I'm at the segment. Okay. I'm going to put his podcast, maybe every Thursday morning when I go for a jog, I'll listen to this episode and yeah, yeah, it yeah. schedule. So that's good. That's good. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for letting me ask you some questions as well
0: i mean i definitely appreciate it i mean i think it's for me it's just one of those things because kind of like when you're doing this interview like we're interviewing each other but i'm interviewing more you and trying to give you opportunity to ask questions because you may have you may have questions yeah, so yeah. i definitely yeah, appreciate yeah. you being on the show today i think it, it was a, a hell of an adventure and i think that with your business structure and this your business acumen is just is phenomenal i mean the fact that you're you're dual coast right i mean some people they're dying to conquer one state or one city but you're, you're kind of like on multiple different aspects of the world. You're international. So I definitely appreciate you being here and giving the value to our listener.
1: Thank you. No, and I just want to reiterate my gratitude for, for having me on as a guest. You've had some amazing guests. So I feel very honored to be on that list. And uh, looking forward to connecting with you in the, in the future and getting to know you and hopefully getting one of those T-shirts up here one day because I, I like your swag.
0: Sure, definitely. We could definitely make that happen, man. I definitely appreciate you. And again, for, for the listener, I want you to remember the name, man. It's, it's the Refocus Boss. And you can kind of obviously see why I'm calling him that. It's all about focusing and harnessing what you've learned and how to utilize it moving forward. S.A. Grant, over and out. Or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762 233 BOSS. That's 762 233 2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a Boss in Cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss and Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook. Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.